Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. I'm ready to dive in. How about you guys? We're going to be looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And uh, something beautiful that the Lord just continuously is showing us during this series is, is how generous our king is, how full of mercy, how full of grace, how wonderful, how giving, how selfless is this king that we serve. There's a statement made that Jesus makes And I want to read that statement that Jesus makes, and then I want to kind of work it backwards and then work it back forwards. Uh, But in Matthew chapter 12, you don't have to go there, I'm just going to read it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, Jesus begins to make this statement about the queen of Sheba or the queen of the south who went and observed all the riches and grandeur of wisdom and knowledge and and just the opulence of Solomon's temple and his palace. Um, The Bible tells us that when the queen of the south saw the glory of all that Solomon had, that it took her breath that how many of you know normally when something's told to us, you experience it and it's not as good as what it was told. (laughs) She experiences the glory and grandeur of Solomon and you know what she said? The half of it wasn't told. (laughs) That there's a, a place that you come to to where you can't give things words to express the value and the beauty of what they are. And she had reached this place with Solomon where she said, this just took the wind out of my sails. Have you ever seen anybody so good at something that it actually discouraged you from trying instead of encouraging you? You ever seen that? And you're like, they're too good. I don't even want to try that. (laughs) Is that the queen of Sheba experienced that? That even the way Solomon's waiters that waited the tables, the way they were dressed was so magnificent, she couldn't even fathom or gather. But Jesus makes a statement in Matthew 12, 42, and he says that the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And now something greater than Solomon is here. (laughs) Can you imagine... A 30-something-year-old construction worker running around with 12 teenagers (laughs) making that statement to the people of God. 
Jesus was either crazy or he was the real deal. And that's the position he puts us all in. For how will we handle God as he reveals himself? Not as we think he should be or as we would prefer him to be, but how will we value the God who's revealed himself in the manner he chose to be fit to reveal himself? So the portion of scripture we're going to read today in 2 Chronicles 7 is a portion of scripture to where Solomon is dedicating the temple. That Solomon had taken all that David had stored up because David wasn't able to build the temple. Lord told David, you've established something really special here, but you've got too much blood on your hands. That it's actually going to be a son of peace that's going to establish this temple and this building and that's going to begin to walk out and begin to, begin to experience what it's like. So Solomon takes the riches that David stored up, the riches that he has, and he begins to construct this temple. And as he's constructing this temple, he spares no expense. I want to read to you here some of the costs that were involved with this temple. First Chronicles 22.14 tells us that in the temple there was 100,000 talents of gold. A talent is 75 pounds. And there was 100,000 talents of gold. There was 1 million talents of silver and quantities of bronze and iron too great to even be weighed or numbered. This didn't disclude the amount of labor, the stone quarries, the cedar trees that were hauled in, that in total there was over 108,000 talents of gold and many other metals that, and, and not even counting the labor that it took to get this structure. So a ton of gold is worth anywhere Today's language, $55 million to $67 million a ton for gold. How many wants a ton of gold this Christmas? That would be, yeah. Put in an offering and you'll get a talent of gold. I prophesy that over you now. And a miracle spring water. Um, think about the cost. So how many tons were involved in this amount of gold? 3,750 tons 
of gold, which would give us an amount, if we take the higher end of the price of gold, $251 billion temple. And do you know how big it was? Just about an acre. <laughs> How's that for a homestead? Solomon spared no expense. So it came time to dedicate a temple. And how do you dedicate a temple where God's going to dwell? How do you put a value on something that God's going to dwell in? <laughs> and how do you dedicate something like this? We would think as costly as that is, surely that's enough and God would be impressed. $251 billion? Yeah, I don't think I can dwell in that. But Solomon doesn't stop there. That Solomon, y'all want to just read it? Let's just read it. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the Lord's splendor filled the temple. The priests were unable to enter the Lord's temple because the Lord's splendor filled the Lord's temple. Get that. There wasn't enough room for man because there was so much God, man couldn't stand in the place. Verse three, when all the Israelites saw the fire come down and the Lord's splendor over the temple, they got on their knees with their faces downward towards the pavement and they worshiped God and gave thanks to the Lord saying, certainly he is good and certainly his loyal love endures. The king and all the people were presenting sacrifices to the Lord. You ready for this? Don't call Peter. <laughs> King Solomon sacrificed 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep. Then the king and all the people dedicated God's temple. The priests stood in their assigned spots along with the Levites who had the musical instruments used for praising the Lord. These were the ones King David made for giving thanks to the Lord which were used by David when he offered praise. Opposite the Levites, the priests were blowing trumpets while all Israel stood there. Solomon consecrated the middle of the courtyard that is in front of the Lord's temple and he offered burnt sacrifices, grain offerings, and the fat from the peace offerings there because the bronze altar that Solomon had made was too small to hold all the offerings. <laughs> oh, man. 
And at the time, Solomon and all Israel with him celebrated a festival for seven days. That's an important point, and we're going to deal with that. This great assembly included people from Lebo Hamath in the north to the stream of Egypt in the south. And on the eighth day, they held an assembly for they had dedicated the altar for seven days and celebrated this festival for seven more days, which means Solomon extended a seven-day festival to a 14-day festival because there was so much sacrifice and so much to be thankful for and so much going on that they had to do it for two weeks, which could have been done in one, wasn't enough because of all what the people had brought and all that the king had provided in order to dedicate God's house. Now watch this. Solomon sent the people home. Here's how you know you had a good church service. You ready? They left happy and contented. (laughs) Because of the good the Lord had done for David, Solomon, and his people, Israel. So there's an important note there. We get that seven-day picture here, which means that Solomon dedicated this temple on the Feast of Booths, or, the, or this tent feast. And what the Feast of Tents, it was one of the many holy days, but this one kind of stood in a certain place to where it was a little more valuable than some of the others in the sense that nobody came empty-handed on the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tents. It was to commemorate the Jewish people's time in the wilderness. And so what they would do is is they would go out and they would build these rudimentary structures and they would bring their families under these structures and begin to recount their wanderings through the wilderness and how God provided for them. But every one of the festivals that the Jews celebrated had to do with the growth cycle and the agricultural cycle of the time. So this would have been the last of the ripening grain, the last of ripening fruits before we entered into the rainy season to where we would prepare for the next growing season that was going to come. So this would be uh, uh, something that would be celebrated. And so everybody would bring the best of their produce, the best of their agriculture, Culture, the best of their fruit, whatever their, their fruit was, whatever their produce was, whatever they had grown, they would come and for seven days they would live in these structures. And this overlapped with another feast called the Feast of Ingathering. And what they would do is they would get together with hands full of fruit <laughs> and they would throw it up into the air as a heave offering unto God to say, we remember how you took care of us in the wilderness. And it was a declaration to the devil that we're no longer in the wilderness. We've come from the promised land with hands full of bounty that the Lord has provided. And we've got fruit and we're throwing it up in the air because we've got so much. We can just toss it up. So can you imagine the landscape of here's Solomon in his temple and here's all these sacrifices, 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep, that would be like $9 million. 
That's just what the king had. That isn't counting what everybody else brought. And imagine the landscape is all these booths of families all planted around God's house, hungering for the presence of God and the presence of God being their guiding light in which they would build everything else around. In a 251 billion dollar structure, People with hands full of produce all coming together to throw that up as an offering unto God. And you say, that's pretty generous. <laughs> Why so much? Couldn't it been done a more economical and efficient way? <laughs> Was that in the budget? And the value is so great is it is pointing to the value of something much greater that was going to come. So when Jesus says a greater than Solomon is here, he's saying that greater than any of this whole thing about Solomon is pennies compared to King Jesus and what he was coming to do. That King Jesus came and when he comes, he's much more valuable. That when Jesus comes to the earth, we start hearing this language, this temple language. And John picks up on this in John chapter one, and he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the same word for tabernacled. That the word became a human, and as the word became human, he was a walking temple. So if Solomon's temple, $251 billion just in gold, how much was Jesus as he tabernacled with God's people. See, when Jesus makes this statement, the ancient mind goes back and goes, wait a second. 
greater than that? We're still trying to attain to that temple. Jesus says, oh, don't miss it. Something greater than that. Something you couldn't put a monetary value on has come to dwell among God's people. Jesus is that temple that he is Isaiah 7:14 Emmanuel God with us In John 2 I love it John 1 he established himself as the tabernacle John 2 Jesus and his disciples are walking by the temple as it's being constructed, Herod's temple. And Herod, in order to incur favor from the Jewish people and to make them chill out and stop revolting, he builds them a temple. And the disciples are enamored with the building. And they go, Jesus, would you look at that? Would you look at it? Come on, just look at it. (laughs) Would you look at it? Would you get a look at that? And Jesus goes, ah, <laughs> that'll get tore down, and then in three days, it'll be right back where it was. And they go, Jesus, it took 46 years to build that. See, Jesus is establishing that he's the new temple. That he is the meeting place where the presence and the glory of God would dwell forever. He is that building. And this is the reality that Jesus is drawing us into because he's not only the temple and he's always trying to get God's people off a building. (laughs) Always. It's hilarious. He's at that same feast where Solomon dedicated the temple. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 7, verse 38 and 39, it says, on the last day, On the great day of the feast, Jesus stands up and says, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For out of my belly will flow rivers of living water. You know what he was doing? He was saying, I'm the new temple. Here's how. On this feast, over time, different rituals begin to be attached to it. So for seven days during the Feast of Booths, the priest would come down and he would get a pitcher of water from the pool of Siloam. And all it was like a big 
like it was a show, it was camaraderie. Archaeologists have even found little pictures that say, come to me on them as souvenirs that the travelers would get to watch this. <laughs> come to me. <laughs> they drink coffee out of it in the morning. No, I'm just saying, I don't know. <laughs> and they would begin to sing the Egyptian Hallelujah songs, the Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, and it was just this praise as the, as the priest came down into the pool of Siloam, and he made his way to the temple, and he would get to the base of the altar, and he would pour water, make the statement, come to me, that the priest was reacting Ezekiel 47, where the trickle of water flows from the temple of God and begins to become a wide flowing river to where it even hits the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea becomes teeming with fish and becomes a fishery vacation spot. (laughs) Jesus stands up, interrupts this process and says, would you stop the shenanigans already? If you want to get a real drink, if you really want to experience something besides dead religion and rituals, God is establishing his presence in a person, not in a place. And in this person named Jesus, if you want to get a drink and you come to that temple, the rivers that flow from him will flow into you and you will never thirst again. Ever thirst again. Jesus is always saying, I'm here. Who who are you looking for? I'm here. I'm here. And I think we miss it because we thought it was going to be an opulent building. We thought it was going to be Something different. But God says, no, I'm coming. So Jesus is not only the temple, but he's the sacrificial lamb. That Jesus' temple is so valuable, it takes his own blood to purchase it so that we could go in. So you have to ask yourself, how valuable is Jesus? And how valuable is his blood? This is what the scriptures are pointing us to. Hebrews chapter nine, verses 11 through 14, it says, but now Christ has come as the high priest of the good things to come. He passed through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is not of this creation, and he entered once for all into the most holy place, 
not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. And so he himself secured eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of young cow sprinkled on those who are defiled, consecrated them and provided ritual purity, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our consciences from dead works to worship the living God. See, I think the shift that Jesus wants us to come to is the value is not in things, it's in people. The value is not in what we can get, it's who we can know. That value can't be interpreted by a building because look how Jesus came. <laughs> I mean, a food trough. <laughs> food trough. Last night, we're coming to a close. Last night, we had a couple of Christmas parties and kinds of stuff going on. And so in the evening, Elm had to go make sure they had enough bags for the kids' ministry. So we got Abigail to sleep, and then she left, and I got Kennedy to sleep in her bed. And so since Abigail was already asleep, I just stayed in there with Kennedy and my kids are like little ninjas. You'll just wake up and they'll all be in there with you. And you're just like, how did y'all do that? So I get up about 3 a.m. And I'm in a twin bed. <laughs> with one daughter in this arm. The other daughter in this arm. And I just pulled him in and I said, God, I'm so blessed. And I was just struck with gratefulness. And then the Lord said, how would it feel to give one of those away? And I pulled him even closer and I said, God, I don't know that I could do it. And he said, I want you to know how it felt when I gave my son away. So, it wasn't like the father was callous and felt nothing. The emotions you feel for your children are just a foretaste of what God can feel. So he shares his emotions with you because you're made in his image. So before you think you feel deeper than Jesus, don't fool yourself. You don't feel that deep. 
it's a mercy that he doesn't let you feel to that level of depth. I said, God, I don't know if I could. And I was struck with the weight of that offering. And how valuable that offering. But that offering is so pervasive. Do you know what it also does? It makes you into a temple. It makes you into a king. It makes you into a priest. It makes you like Jesus. So as we go into communion today, go ahead and get your communion out. Is that the king that was placed in a manger? Became a meal. See, anybody, if you need a, if you didn't get an emblem when you come in, just lift your hand up and we, we'll make sure and get them to you. Everybody get one. And as you're holding bread and the wine, I want you to think you're handling God's own son. that the almighty king of heaven became a wiggling baby and was placed in the hands of people to take care of it. So in that same vulnerable way, that's how Jesus comes to us. He doesn't make his home and structures built with the hands of men. He makes his home in earthen vessels <laughs> like you and I. And I want to just submit to you that he's not upset about the fact that he gets to live in you. Because can you put a value on Jesus? All right, I'm going to ask another question. Can you put value on another person? So it sounds like you're the most expensive place that God could live. <laughs> that you should be laughing at Solomon spending $250 billion. And you should say, Solomon, get a look at this right here. Change your perspective. Know your value. 
and know your value by what was paid for you. Not the blood of sheep and goats and bulls, but the blood of God's own Son. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.